I do something called the five star challenge. Co-host Sharon Mullen, the Chocolate Girl. What's going on, Chocolate Girl? Hey, hey, everybody. Glad to be here. Glad to be back. Back with everybody. Sorry I was not here last weekend, but I'm here this weekend. That's good. That's definitely good to hear. Now, uh, for those of we have a returning, well, he ain't no guest. This is family here. And, and like I said, you, you may have seen him on your basketball TV networks because he's been all over. Skip Bayless has been reading his articles that has gotten crucial out there of how good of a writer this guy is, okay? Um, I met him a couple years back when he was back with the Philadelphia Inquirer. Now he's out there with Commercial Appeal and the beat writer for the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm talking to the one, the only, the Michael Cole is in the building, AKA Philly DMC is in the house, all right? Just want to let y'all know. What's going on, man? What's going on? I'm happy, happy to be here. Happy to be here. We're yes. glad to have you, man. We're glad to have you. Definitely glad to have you. Now, I just want to know, you know, uh, how was y'all week? We gonna let's let's start with the guests. You know what I mean? Well, it's the family, my fault. We don't have no guests. You came back, your family. Start with the family. How how was your week? Week week was was good. You know, it's been real busy. Uh NBA season back, so we back in full swing of things. Uh, just getting getting back in the rhythm, getting back in the flow. A lot of moving pieces, you know, with the team. Uh, just you know, getting back to you know the travel schedules and and all that good stuff. So it's it's fun though, but it's it's real fun. Team, a Grizzlies off to a four and one start. So anytime you're covering a good team, you know, it kind of it's kind of a you know uh, people people love to read about good teams. That is definitely true. Now, how about you, Sharon? How was your week? Um, well, it, it um, it was a, it was a good week. It didn't start out that well, but it ended well. Um, I'm feeling great, better than than I have in a long time, and um, it's good to be back in town after going out of town last weekend. So, and I got to see my grandbaby for a short period of time, anyway, this week. So, anytime I get to see that little boy. It's a great, great, great week. How about you, Dennis? How was your week? Uh, I, I had a, uh, I had an interesting week. You know, started off the week. My uncle passed away. Started off the week. You know, what I mean, we we knew he was sick, and we knew, you know, what I mean, um, the doctors told us wasn't too much that they could do, so we knew it was coming. Oh. But you know that that started off the week. Um, yeah. 
So that wasn't too good. But then, you know, things got better later, you know what I mean? Spent some time with the family, got to see some things, you know. I, I got to say, I'm blessed, happy to be here, mm-hmm. love doing what I do, and um, I'm going to keep it going, keep going strong. Now, is this the uncle that likes sports that you always talk about? No, no, this is this is actually my uncle that's actually into karate. Oh, be honest with you, and he uh he terrorized the neighborhood. Be honest with you, has <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you. This is a this is a I'm gonna tell that story. This is a crazy story on how he terrorized the neighborhood. Well, I'm sorry for your loss, and um, yeah, I'm glad you can remember some of the fun things about him. Though that's the good part about it. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, a lot of fun things, my whole lot. Of, yeah. Uncle Cool Kenny. That's his name. Uncle Cool Kenny. But um we'll, we'll get into that later. Let's let's get to the Michael Cole. We're on here with the Michael Cole. Now I want to ask you a question because I don't know too much about beat writing. So I'm gonna ask you a question. I'm gonna let Sharon go. How many beat writers are there per team? Uh I mean it depends on the market. It depends on you know uh the, the media the amount of media outlets, you know, in that area. And it depends on, quite frankly, um, who do you really consider, you know, beat writers. Uh, I think for the most part now in this age of social media and everything, uh, you have people who cover teams, you know, more frequently that may, you know, may have been fans and things like that of that team. And they just create their own, you know, like um, create their own media sites and they, they come over to the games, but, Usually, I guess if you want like a, a general definition of a beat writer and, and how many of these, you know, teams usually have, I'd say like in Memphis, you probably have like three, three to four who are three or four, I'd say maybe who are on the ground covering the Grizzlies, uh, all the home games. But you talk about traveling to traveling to games and, and you know, going to games, playoff games, it's two of us. So. So that that's how it is with the Grizzlies. Uh, I remember when I was in Philly, it was kind of similar. Uh, in Philly, it's sort of two, two or three uh, that travel. Um, from a from a writing perspective, really, sometimes even one. You know, with the Enquirer with, with certain sports. And then there are big cities like New York City. Uh, beat writers when they when the Knicks come down here and play, there are, there are four, five uh, reporters who come down. And then same thing with LA, you have four or five who come down to uh, to Memphis when the Lakers play the Grizzlies. So it's a market-based thing. I know in Charlotte, you got the Charlotte Observer. So usually uh, when they they come to Memphis, it's usually the only one that travels to Memphis uh, most of the time. But in certain cities, like, you have a couple. So I'd say, depending on the market and and all that, it's, it's probably roughly 60 to 70 maybe. Uh, when you talk about NBA beat writers, so who are traveling and covering home games? Okay, all right, Sam, what you got, Sam? Okay, I'm sorry, I thought it was still you. Let me see here. Um, has anything surprised you in the journalism profession as far as covering the game? since you've been doing this or has it been pretty much as you expected it? It's, let's see, has anything surprised me? Cause it's definitely something I, I just got to figure out. It's from, from a journalistic perspective or from like just 
the engagement, you know, or from around. Let's let's start with from a journalist journalistic mm -hmm. perspective first. Mm -hmm. Uh yes, I think I think you know you have to have a really good feel for what's going on and 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 now like the the more time I've been involved, you know, in this sports writing thing, uh basketball is a real fast sport. Like when you're covering baseball, you know, uh things will happen more methodically. Uh football things happen a little bit more methodically. You have 20 and 30 seconds in between plays. But in basketball, this team's going up the court, that team's going up the court. You look down two seconds, one team scored four points and the other team's calling the timeout. Uh, you got to keep your eyes on it. It just, it happens so fast. And as a journalist, you just got to keep, you have to keep that, that, you know, uh, that I guess even keel mindset while you're watching the games. But I think what I've learned, like, since I do buzzer stories, which are stories I file immediately at the buzzer uh, right. following the end of a game, that's one of the things I have to write. And that's, you know, it's really difficult, you know, because you're basically trying to tell someone what happened or the big takeaways from a game soon as the game ends. So you're not putting in a lot of, you know, this guy scored this many points and broke this record and broke that record because you don't have a lot of time to do that. So mm -hmm. basically, uh, I'm, I'm following the game. I'm jotting down notes and you just have to be real meticulous about that. But you have to keep your it's like you're doing two things at one time. You have to keep your eyes on the game and then. From an engagement perspective, uh, I think it's it's pretty surprising. Like I have to take my personal mind out of it, and I have to think about what appeals to just the everyone's mind the most. For example, in Memphis, John Morant, John Morant, John Morant, John Morant, John Morant, John Morant. Whereas me, personally, I love to read, you know, the feel good stories. Santi Aldama, first round pick last season uh, for the Grizzlies, only played 32 games, then comes up. And, you know, ends up being a starter in place of Jaron Jackson Jr. while he's hurt. That's more of my flow. That's more of like what I like to read. But you got to think about, okay, look, John Morant is coming off an all-star season. He comes out against the Knicks, scores 34 points. Uh, that's what people are going to want to read more of. So it's like I have to take my mind away from it and more of, okay, what appeals, you know, to the broader audience? And I think that's a big part of it. And Overall, I mean, it's, it's so many things I learned from an engagement perspective. Sometimes I have to realize that my best work, you know, may not get the most the most views or generate the most subscriptions and things like that. There are there are stories that I spend hours and days on that, mm -hmm. that do OK. And sometimes it's a story that I write in an hour and it gets goes like, boom. So, you know, sometimes. That can be when you're very young, that can be kind of one of those discouraging things. Like, oh, I just, I've been working on this for three weeks and it just does okay. And then you just wake up in the morning, 8 a.m., get done with something at 9 a.m. And it's one of your highest read stories of the week. So, you know, you just gotta, you gotta remember, look, um, what appeals to the people is what appeals to the people. You just continue to put out good work and you, you know, let them things take care of themselves. I was wondering about, um, how how you guys get the information out so quickly? I know you had to be taking notes, but that's yeah. what you were saying about how fast paced the game is. As a writer myself, I'm sitting there watching the game, and then I'll see you tweet, mm -hmm. and I'll say, "Yeah, that's what just happened, right?" And I'm yeah. actually I'm actually studying what you're doing, 
right? I'm looking at how much time in between and things like that. So about how much time do you have to get it out? Is there like a specific deadline? Do they tell anybody tell you or send you that? Or you just do it when you're ready at your own pace and it works out? Within a minute at the end of the game. So as soon as the game wow. ends, the only thing that I'm adding usually is the final score. So mm-hmm. um, I the game ends and so some so you know it's really hard when it's an overtime game and like the Knicks game, first game of the season. Uh, Cam Reddish hits the three-pointer to, to send it to overtime. So now I got to delete this paragraph. I got to delete that paragraph. Now I'm writing, <laughs> but you, you still, you know, you can't miss that that breakaway steal dunk that could change the whole game that everyone's going to know about. Uh, you can't miss that play. So it's it's looking up, it's looking down, it's looking up, it's looking down. It's real, it's real intense. And sometimes, you know, I miss I miss the little you know side interactions, and that's you know I guess the exp- comes at the expense of this, you know, because. Being at the games, you have access to see, you know, what's going on on the sideline, what players are, are super engaged, what players are not as engaged, what player is, you know, if he's hurting, what he, is he over there uh, on the bicycle, you know, trying to get back in condition or or is he just sitting down away from the team or is a trainer working on the guys? You have access to see all that stuff. But sometimes I just I don't have the time to look late in the game. So I do a lot of that in the first couple quarters, the third quarter, and then fourth quarter, I'm usually just channeling where I'm looking up and I'm, you know, seeing what's going on. Then I'm writing, I'm seeing what's going on and I'm writing because at the end of the day, this it has to be out soon as the game ends. So I don't have uh, a lot of time. And then of course I write my follow-up story that's more, you know, descriptive, more detailed after I talk to the coaches, after I talk to the players. So I do write that story, you know, about an, another hour or so after the game. But the immediate story at the end, that's the one that, you know, as a young journalist, that's one of the biggest challenges when you when you step into like the sports writing thing of, you know, a professional team or a college team. Now, do you write your buzzer story? Do you post your buzzer story in the same place you post your follow up story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, they're all you know on the commercial appeals uh, mm-hmm. site. So it's the buzz story comes out first and then the follow up story will come out probably couple hours maybe an hour and a half uh, mm-hmm. after that sometimes even sometimes even the next morning you know depending on how I guess meticulous I want to be you know with the story so there's been times where I've, I've written it and it'll come out and think about it, the Grizzlies game start at seven o'clock most of the time so mm-hmm. the buzzer story is about 10 o'clock you talk to the players you talk to the coaches get done with all that it's usually around 11 11 30 maybe so buzzer story, I mean, the follow-up story usually is coming 12, 30, 1 a.m. And sometimes it's like, eh, I just, you know, I'll hold it to 6 a.m., which is usually, you know, when our audience is getting back up and reading. So uh, sometimes I just do that. Sometimes I go ahead and, and, and crank it out at 12, 30. But uh, the follow-up is the one you have to take your time with, whereas uh, the buzzer story, you're trying to hurry up, get it out there, uh, get the takeaways from the game so the people can have something to read as soon as the game ends. Mm-hmm. that's interesting it's mm-hmm. just i'm just imagining in, in that last quarter especially you're actually you've actually already started the actual yep. article it's not yes. just john notes john knows the whole time and then you've got to sit down and write you actually start writing the finished product yeah. during the game while it's going on yeah actually at, at halftime yeah. I'm, I'm already writing at halftime uh, most of the time and usually at that point it's not like I'm writing, you know, some deep dive statistical thing on what's happening in the game. Mm-hmm. Usually that's where I write, hey, John Morant 
is not playing today because of X, Y, Z, um, because that's a big takeaway from every game. If John Moran isn't playing, the people are going to want to know who steps in as a starter. How did that player do? How did it affect the rotations? And I write mm-hmm. all of that usually <laughs> in, in my first, you know, takeaway from each game. It's, it's usually about, hey, this player wasn't available. This player wasn't available. This is how it affected the team. This player had to step up and play more minutes. And usually I can do that around halftime. And then, you know, I'll go back and add a couple of things, you know, over the course of the third and the fourth quarter. But, yeah, those those I usually do three takeaways. So the last couple of takeaways are the ones where I usually have to, you know, just let the flow of the game, you know, pretty much dictate what I write. And that's when it gets real challenging, especially when teams are going back and forth and you don't know who's going to win. So you are sometimes I end up writing five or six things. And it's like, okay, if the Grizzlies win, I'll delete these two. If the Knicks win, I'll delete these two. So wow. it's, it's, it's real challenging. Yeah, you got to pay attention. You really got to pay attention. <laughs> you got to be able to go back to that section and make sure you delete it or else mm-hmm. it won't make sense in the story. Yeah, it, won't, it won't make any sense. And the <laughs> right. people, they're going to notice every time. They'll let you know about it. Oh, I'm <laughs> sure. I'm sure. And you do, you do a really, really good job before the game, tweeting out things, situations like players that's not going to play or things like that or what they're going to have to focus on. They're going to have to focus on this against this team. You do really well at that. That's one thing I do notice about you. But um, in addition to writing for um, Commercial Appeal, don't you now, aren't you on like other shows like podcasts or radio shows or something? Can you talk yeah. a little bit about those and where people can find them? Yeah. So so I also co-host the Locked On Grizzlies podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of avid sports fans are familiar with the Locked On Network because, you know, uh, mm-hmm. depending on wherever you are, there is a locked on team, you know, uh, being a Packers fan, being a Tennessee alum, I, I've listened to locked on, uh, Tennessee, uh, locked on Vols. I listened to locked on Packers before I joined the network. But basically when I came to Memphis, you know, it was another opportunity that presented itself to be one of the, uh, co-hosts of the locked on Grizzlies podcast. So you can find that pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple podcasts, Google Podcasts, mm-hmm. uh, Stitcher, Spotify, and we're also on YouTube. So we, we have a video stream on YouTube. It's every Monday through Friday. We use every every upload is about 8 a.m. We're really consistent with it. But yeah, uh, Locked On Grizzlies is the other place that you can find a lot of my content. I mean, we're giving pretty much the rundown of everything going on with the Grizzlies from a day-to-day perspective. And that's what makes the Locked On network so appealing to me is you're every single day so people know when the Grizzlies play the next morning that Locked On Grizzlies podcast is going to be there or uh, the day before they play that Locked On Grizzlies podcast previewing the game is going to be there and, and then you know oh, if this player gets hurt I know DeMichael's going to have some more information for me on the at the Locked On Grizzlies uh, podcast so yeah just Locked On Grizzlies uh, you can check it out on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you like to go listen to podcasts, you want to watch us, we're on YouTube as well. But I do a lot of guest segments on a lot of the local radio uh, shows here in Memphis. But but yeah, Locked On Grizzlies is where you can find my primary content as well as the commercial appeal. And you, uh, you made the news. You made the Memphis <laughs> news the other day. I seen that. Yep. Yeah. I, think, I think your brother was over there talking smack about you. Yeah, I, I seen that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh we got a fan question real quick juke out there shout out to juke for the stars juke said how did you get into beat writing yeah so it was a, it was a process right because 
one, it was, it was always something that I knew I wanted to do. Not necessarily just be writing, but just being a sports journalist. So I kind of let the course of my college career dictate what I was going to do more of when it came to writing, broadcasting, TV, radio. Because at the end of the day, it's a hard field to crack. Like it's 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 tough. It's competition everywhere. Uh, I get a lot of emails every day, almost every week about, you know, college kids who want to do exactly what I'm doing. They say, hey, I want to be a beat writer for the Grizzlies one day. What do I need to do? I want to be a beat writer for this team. What do I need to do? So it's a tough field to crack. But basically, for me, what happened is in college, uh, I had an open mind about TV, radio and uh, news. And and the story goes my freshman year, I was at the University of Tennessee. Uh, I went to this to the TV uh, interview where they basically say, hey, if you want to do TV, the freshmen come to these tryouts. And I thought the tryouts were terrible. They were, they were, they were terrible. It was like interview. I mean, it was interview and we were three to a room. So I was in the room with two other people who were interviewing and I feel like I just didn't get a fair shot. So of course they ended up not choosing me uh, for the TV channel. So I went and said, okay, I'll just work at the student newspaper, you know? So I went to student newspaper and that's basically how I crafted myself into the beat writing, you know, industry. Uh, I got a lot of opportunities at the student newspaper to go cover games. And then, you know, you learn the dits and bolts of, of sports writing. You know, you learn about writing the lead, you know, uh, drawing the attention to the writer. You learn about the nut graph, which is where you put in, you know, a lot of your detail oriented things. You, you put the statistical analysis and information into a story. And then you just learn about the inverted pyramid, which is, you know, basically you start the top of the story with your most interesting information and you go down and, you know, include, you know, the necessary but but least interesting info at the bottom. So all of those things are what I learned in college. But but my big break as a professional beat writer came after my junior year of college when uh, I applied for this internship called Sports Journalism Institute. Uh, it's a basically the best opportunity out there for minority uh, journalists. So uh, I applied for it uh, going into my senior year. I got accepted actually around this time. And that internship basically uh, is, it was 12, I think it was 12 of us, some of the best young journalists, you know, in the country. Uh, we ended up going to Arizona State for a week, one of the best, you know, J schools out there in the summer. We went to, to Arizona State for this intensive boot camp for a week where we did deadline writing, at, like we just talked about, or you got to write a story right after a game. It needs to be done in X amount of time. Uh, we did that. And we did, you know, a lot of, we got a lot of people come speak to us. You know, Stephen A. Smith, Michael Wilbon, uh, Malika Andrews, Cameron Wolf. you know, a lot of big prominent, you know, figures in the media industry came to speak to us. We created those relationships with those people. And basically, uh, I got an internship at Sports Illustrated through SJI. You know, it was kind of a partnership. After we did the one-week boot camp, they sent the 12 students off to different internships. And for me, it was Sports Illustrated in New York. Kind of went there, did some more work, and that's how I got my first opportunity at the Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh, at the Philadelphia Inquirer, I, I covered the colleges and, you know, kind of did some good work there. And that's how, you know, I got the opportunity in Memphis. Uh, where they wanted me to come be the, uh, the B writer at the Commercial Appeal. So that's the long answer. Uh, the short answer is pretty much just constantly, you know, being in those rooms uh, with, with people who have, you know, the influence who can help, 
you know, uh, get you those opportunities was one thing. And then just learning about the ins and outs of reporting, of journalism, and, you know, of beat writing. And, and, and that was the other thing for me. Okay. Uh, uh, that's good to know. Now, <clears throat> you being around uh, oh, the guy that I, I could, well, wait, 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 let me ask this question because everybody asked me this. And at first I thought it was just my Tokyo is Tuesday team. But a lot of people have been asking me this every time I say Big Memphis. How did y'all get the name Big Memphis? Well, you know, as they say, like, Big, big is the is a trendy word right now. Like, like a lot of rappers who are like 140 pounds like to put big in front of their name, you know? It's like, it's like, you know how Lil, Lil used to be the trend, Lil Flip, Lil Wayne, Lil this, Lil that. It's different now. Everybody wants to be big. Big, everybody likes to put big in front of their name. Not theoretically, like from a size perspective, but more from a figurative, like, I'm big and bad, you know? So uh, big Memphis, like Memphis, <laughs> it's the culture of Memphis. You, you throw big in front of Memphis because Memphis is, you know, it's it's one of those cities where where culturally it's impactful, you know, in the in the in the entire South. You have a lot of people who who like to, you know, bite off of the the, the swagger, the culture of Memphis. You know, uh, the way Memphis people talk. You look at like the rap industry, you know, the music industry right now, you have a lot of the, the Memphis rappers come out to the games and, and a lot of their content always goes viral and, and stuff like that. So it's kind of like, it's a cultural thing more than anything. Like big Memphis is like, look, this, this is Memphis and, and Memphis is Memphis, it's big. Okay, all right. Now I know you met the superstar in the NBA, John Morant. Y'all spent yeah. time together. But yeah. have you spent time with T. Morant? <laughs> yeah that's that's a, yeah he's a good dude man t, t moran is a is a real good dude uh i wish i'm gonna try to just put it in perspective like how much of a superstar this dude is like outside of jaw you can make an argument that at the games i'd say t moran is probably one of the 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 three or more three or four most three or four people who shake the most hands at games because everyone's coming up to him. Everyone's asking for pictures. T Moran, yo T, yo T. And he sits courtside at every game. He sits courtside. He has the same seat at every single game. So you know where he's going to be sitting. And I mean, he's his own spectacle, man. T is his own show. You know, I always look at him. He's always talking to the players, not on the Grizzlies team, opposing players. I remember when LeBron came here last year, he and LeBron are doing a little chit chat. And I see the other day he's talking to, you know, Kyrie and KD a little bit. He's always talking, you know, to uh, the opposing players a little bit. And they know T. They know T. So when, when the game's going on, they'll look over there. When they make a shot over Ja or make a shot on the Grizzlies, they'll look over there at him, uh, make sure he sees it. And when Ja makes a spectacular play, you know, T's one of those first people that's going to jump up, um, do a little dance or something, do a little celebration. <laughs> T's his own spectacle. I mean, I love to see it. I mean, it's a it's a – you know, it's a great thing to see, you know, like a, a black father behind one of the best, you know, superstars uh, in the game right now. He's full speed behind him. He's at every every home game. He's at most of the away games, too. You know, I'm, everybody, I've seen him in Atlanta when we were on the road down there. I've seen him in a couple other spots as well. He was there in Minnesota during the playoffs, uh, Golden State during the playoffs. So uh, T, is, T is his own. He's his own show, man. He's his own show. But uh, the fans here love him. People here love him. And he's 
he's a very, you know, he's an outgoing guy. Like he's very receptive when people say, hey, T, can I get a picture? Or, or, you know, he shakes a lot of people's hands. He remembers faces. He's one of those type of people where, uh, you know, he doesn't take this for granted. That's what's up. That's what's up. Shout out, really to T, shout out to T. Morant, man. Shout out to him. I'd be so excited. I said, that's T. Morant. Get me a white cup. That's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I was always saying. Now, um, <clears throat> Jared Jackson Jr. is out. But how long is he out for? So... Right now, we're coming up on a timeline where he's close to or he's probably already started in this time frame where he's going to do five-on-five basketball activity. So a couple weeks ago, Taylor Jenkins, the Grizzlies coach, told us that Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, was progressing really well and he was getting closer to doing five-on-five basketball activity, which is basically uh, one of the last steps in his return to recovery. So when he does five-on-five, he'll eventually start doing contact. And then from a, and everything will be conditioning at that point and he'll be ready to go. So if I had to predict, you ask, hey, when, when do you think he'll be back? I'd say possibly somewhere mid, mid-November mid to late November, I'm talking maybe a little bit before Thanksgiving uh, in that range. But uh, he's getting close. I mean, I see him at practices. He's doing the one-on-one stuff. He does the shooting drills. He looks good. Uh, he's definitely healed. It's more... You know, when you have a stress fracture foot injury, and I talked to some doctors about this, it doesn't even take long for the foot to heal. This is a so when he got hurt in at the beginning beginning of July is when they announced the injury and they said it was a four to six month time frame, right? So when I talked to a doctor, he said, uh, usually for the foot, the foot only takes about six weeks. That's about a month and a half. The foot takes about six weeks to heal, but when, when you get a stress fracture injury, the injury usually occurs from overusage. Well, how did Jaron Jackson get overusage last season? This was the first, this was the most games he's ever played in the NBA season. He played 78 regular season games. Then he played, you know, each of the pl- playoff games. So the Bruce played 12 postseason games. So he played 90 games overall last season after coming off, you know, a season where he didn't play that much. So, nice. um, Overall, the foot just had a lot of usage on it, and he's in a good spot right now. I think when he gets back, they're going to be extra careful when he first gets back, and then they'll let him loose, you know, as, as the season goes on. But uh, it won't be too much longer. Okay, that's good. I, I need to know that for my fantasy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did because he, he's sitting on the bench over there, and I'm like, yeah. all right, I'm, I'm going to go grab him. No <laughs> one's going to exactly when. Yeah, uh, that's that's definitely good. Now, y'all, y'all got this undrafted kid. He shows out in the summer league, gets the nickname Big Buckets. Big Buckets. <laughs> big, right. big Buckets. Big Buckets. He gets mm-hmm. the nickname Big Buckets, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about uh, Kenny Lofton Jr. Dad was a baseball player. Yeah. Um, he's now into the NBA, Kenny Lofton Jr. Do you see him as – do you see his minutes going up, or is he still like number nine, ten in rotation? He's even lower than that. Um, he's he's see the the thing with, with, with Junior, you know, as the people call him here, Kenneth Lofton Junior. Uh, the thing with his situation is he's on a two way contract. So the Grizzlies drafted four rookies, uh, two in the first round, two in the second round. They already have a deep roster, as you know, constructed. So. You just do the math there. You got five starters. 
you got your rotation guys, you got your two first round picks, then you got your two, you know, your second round picks. One is on a two-way, then you have Kennedy Chandler, who, you know, a UT guy who's going to get some playing time, you know, from time to time as that third point guard behind Tyus Jones and John Morant. And it's a tough spot that he's in because you see the production. Everybody sees the production. Like you said, he dominated in summer league. Actually, in the preseason, he played one game, 17 points, eight rebounds, six of eight shooting from the field, didn't play again. So right. a lot of people, even at the Grizzlies game in the preseason, we saw people saying, we want Junior, you know, chanting his name, saying we want Junior and all that. And uh, I think it's just he's in a tough spot. Uh, the Grizzlies love his offense. You know, they do want to work with him on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, there are some things that they want to see more of from him there. They want to, you know, kind of the Grizzlies play, the, the style of defense that the Grizzlies play, he's still getting used to. So there is that adjustment offensively, there's even an adjustment there because I remember in summer league when I talked to one of the Grizzlies coaches about this and we were talking about how the Grizzlies don't have like a low post guy that they just throw the ball to and move out of the way. But he's that. He's a guy you throw the ball to, you know, kind of like Joel Embiid in Philly. You throw the ball to him and you say, hey, everybody get out the way. Just let him work. But at the same time, that's not the Grizzlies style of play. No, so they're up-tempo team. Grizzlies are up-tempo. Uh, last year, they, you know, second in points per game, they led the league in transition points. So that's just not their style. They, this ain't the grit and grind Grizzlies. They don't play that slow, methodical tempo. So at the same time, the Grizzlies are trying to let him do some of that, but they want to mix it. They want him to play that up-tempo style too that they like to play. So they're mixing their style and that's the adjustment there. But overall, I think since he's on a two-way contract, uh, I think he can't play more than 50 games, I believe is the number. And he's, uh, he's not eligible for the postseason right now. And the only way they could change is if you boost his two-way contract up to a standard contract, which the Grizzlies, in theory, could do. But if they do that, you're taking a player off of the current roster. And like I said, this is a deep team right now who they probably don't want to let go any of those guys because everyone, literally every player, on that roster right now has played meaningful minutes or their rookies. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Didn't know that about the two-way contract. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a tough a lot of people use the word politics when they when they discuss players on two two-way contracts. Not me, but I mean it's it's a tough spot because he can't play more than 50 games. So the Grizzlies could say, I oh, will just hold on to him because you you know, you don't want to let one of the other guys go. You have him on a two-way contract. You just want to, you know, keep him kind of stashed, you know, because truth in the matter is you can make an argument that he's outplaying some of those guys who are on the standard contracts. But if you let those guys go, you know, you risk another team picking them up and, you know, things like that. Whereas, you know, Kenneth Lofton Jr., you have him kind of stashed away on a two-way contract. So it's like the Grizzlies are getting a good bang for the book. All right. So for the Grizzlies to make that next step and, and beat the Golden State Warriors, what do you think has to happen? I think, I mean, I think they're I think they're real close. I mean, that series, if you look at the series last season, a lot of people don't remember the fact that the Grizzlies actually led Golden State for more minutes throughout the course of that series. Uh they led for more minutes, but Golden State won the most important minutes. In the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter of game five, game six, Golden State took over. If you go back to game five, 
they were nick and tuck all the way through and the grizzlies basically over the last three four minutes just went in a big scoring drought and golden state you know won the game i believe the grizzlies didn't have a field goal in the last two minutes or something like that if i remember correctly but golden state won that game that way then you go to game six same thing similar situation uh nip and tuck all the way until the start of the fourth quarter and golden state pulls away in the fourth quarter to win game six and close that series out so what were the two factors missing in game five and game six no john Morant. uh john Morant graded out last season as one of the nba's best closers he is the grizzlies closer uh when the game is on the line you know the ball is going into john Morant's hands every single time so there are some people in Memphis who believe, hey, if we would have had John Morant, we could have pulled it off. Uh, defensively, the Grizzlies kind of match up. They match up well with Golden State. Uh, they have a lot of those quick twitch defenders. Uh, their style of play, you know, Golden State, one of Golden State's biggest weaknesses over the years has been paint protection. Well, if you look at the Grizzlies, they led the NBA in paint scoring last season. So no team puts pressure on you in the paint more than the Grizzlies. Uh, and John Morant. John Morant led the NBA last season in paint scoring. So if you look at those two factors and, and the fact that Golden State likes to play the small ball lineup late in games with Draymond at center, and Draymond, great defender, one of the best in the NBA, uh, but uh, from a paint protection perspective, you know, he's not jumping with John Morant. So uh, the Grizzlies feel like they're right there. I think they needed that experience last season because you could tell Golden State's just more experienced. Golden State has the depth. And Golden State just just warmed down. But now I think Memphis, you know, they're better equipped. They have a better style of play as well to shoot more three corners, which should help them out over the course of the season because they're still putting that pressure on the paint, but they're shooting more as well. But it's going to be fun. I'm, I can't wait to Christmas. I'm going to go out there uh, to Golden State for that game. And, uh, it's it's going to be fun because that's going to be the first test to see uh, how these teams stack up against each other. Yeah, especially with Wiseman being over there because Wiseman yep. has been doing a good job protecting the paint over there. Right, right. But but I wanted um what I what I think John Morant has improved himself in more so is, is trusting his teammates more, you know, making more passes. That's that's what I think. And I think he noticed that when he lost that first game against Golden State, whereas though he took the long layup instead mm-hmm. of right throwing the oop to Clark. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking. So we'll we'll see how it goes on that game. We we'll definitely will. And Sharon, you got anything else? Oh, sure. Sure I do. <laughs> um besides the the uh the player that Dennis was talking about earlier, do you see any new players on Memphis this season that's sticking out to you that you need to watch? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, the player I mentioned earlier, you're talking about Santi Aldama, who second-year guy, uh, first-round pick last season, barely played last season. I think he played 32 games and it's kind of starting in place of Jaron Jackson Jr. So that's that's one, of course. But the Grizzlies, I mean, if you look at the roster, it's mainly guys who were on the team last season. season. Uh, it's funny because I was looking at it. Everyone on the Grizzlies roster literally right now it's completely made up 14, 14 out of the 15 standard contracts are players who were either drafted or drafted this past season or they played for the Grizzlies last season. So the no new free agents. The Grizzlies didn't sign a free agent. Matter of fact, they haven't signed an outside free agent since Tyus Jones. I believe that was 2019. And, and then Danny Green, they traded for, 
who's out right now, but the, the rest of the team is pretty, pretty much made up of guys on the roster. But so I'll throw out one of the rookies, uh, Jake Laravia. Uh, remember, remember that name. Uh, he, I mean, I watched him in, in a couple practices and shoot arounds and, I mean, the guy, the way he can shoot the basketball, it's it's almost like it's exactly what this team needs. Right now, I think he's shooting 60% on three-pointers, 9 of 15 to start the season. He's nice. coming off the bench. Uh, he's one of those those wing guys that they, they're using to replace, you know, DeAnthony Melton and Kyle Anderson, and he's filling in nicely so far. Uh He's a rookie, so he's still learning. You know, he's having good games, bad games. Literally two games ago, he scores zero points. And then in the last game, he scores 13 points, nine rebounds, and makes three three-pointers and shoots five or six from the field. So you got to deal with those ebbs and flows with the rookies. But at the end of the day, that's who the Grizzlies are putting their trust in. They're basically saying, look, we had one of the youngest teams in the NBA last season. We believe that our players, we believe in internal growth. Our players from last season are going to take next step because they're so young. They have so many things they can add to their game. They're depending on that internal growth, and they're depending on guys like Jake Brady, who they drafted in the first round with the 19th pick, to step in, make some shots. He played for Wake Forest uh, last season in college, so he played ACC basketball, and he looks he looks like he's the one guy who is going to surprise some people and uh, and you know make some plays for this team. Okay, good. Then I have to keep an eye on him then. I, I'm familiar with him down here in ACC country. So I do remember the name. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to, yeah, I have to keep an eye on him. But um, being down there in Memphis, so you probably keep up with sports at, at your alma mater, Tennessee, right? Right. Mm-hmm. right so right. I noticed you, uh, mm-hmm. you, you put a tweet out earlier today talking about a few of their teams. Something's going on with their teams down there. Something great. Uh, can you share that with the people? What's going on with Tennessee? Yeah, so the University of Tennessee right now, I mean, I feel like it's every major college dream, every major power five or wherever you want to call the colleges, it's all their dreams to have the level of success that Tennessee is having at the top of their athletic programs. So what I mean, football program right now, top five in the country basketball team ranked number 11 of uh, men's basketball team that is ranked number 11 in the AP poll uh, that came out before the season. And they just defeated number two in that same AP poll, Gonzaga 99 to 80 in a preseason game. Then there's the baseball program was the number one ranked team uh, for the majority of the college baseball season uh, last season. And they're expected to be right in that conversation again. And then there's women's basketball. I mean, Nothing has to be said about the Lady Vols and, you know, just the standard that that Pat (laughs) Summit set for that program. They had a couple of down years, but right now they're back. Uh, Number five uh, in the preseason rankings on the women's side over there. And then the college softball program, arguably one of my favorite programs at the University of Tennessee. I covered a lot of college softball in my earlier time, and I had so much fun. I tell everyone. It's the, the team I had the most fun covering. Uh, the weeklies do a lot of uh, the coaches there. The weeklies have do a great job of preparing that program and they're top 15. So football, basketball, baseball, softball, all top 15. The men's golf, uh, who I didn't even yeah. include in that, in that post, men's golf, top eight in the country. The women's soccer team had a very successful season. Uh, one of the top 25 programs in the country, basically a lot of success 
going on throughout the ups and downs of the uh, of the athletic program. You just don't see that uh, a lot. Usually when the men's basketball team is good, the football program is bad. When I was in college, it, it kind of started off, it, it was funny how it happened. When I first got to college, the, the men's football, I mean, the football team was, was ranked. You had Josh Dobbs, you had Alvin Kamara, you had Jalen Hurd and, and, you know, Cam Sutton, all these guys who were in the NFL doing their thing now. And they started off good, kind of had an eight, nine win season, but the basketball team with Rick Barnes, 16 and 16, real bad. Then my junior year, uh, the basketball team, you know, projected to, to finish 13th in the SEC, goes on, you know, to win the regular season SEC championship, one of the top SEC teams in, in one of the top NCAA basketball teams in the country my last two years. Well, Bush Jones, the football coach, got fired that same year that Tennessee yes. made that run, and Jeremy Pruitt, in his first season as the coach, lost the game to, I believe, Georgia State it was, and and, you know, they just had a lot of bad luck. So the football and basketball, men's basketball programs, they couldn't be on the same page at the same time. We've seen the Lady Vols, women, women's basketball and the Tennessee football team have success at the same time before. But, yeah, uh, you don't see this with a lot of colleges. You know, I, I've seen it a few times. North Carolina comes to mind where they've had some some real good women's, women's basketball team, men's basketball team, and the football team has been, you know, top 25 at least. And then Stanford is always, you know, one of the standards mm -hmm. for this because, you know, swimming, Stanford is usually near the top. And then, you know, basketball, baseball, football, they all they usually have, you know, decent programs. So, uh, but yeah, Tennessee is rolling right now. It's, it's a good yeah. time to be a long, it's a good time to be a Tennessee fan. It's just a good time to be associated with that program. Well, you know, that's Dennis, Dennis's favorite yep, college know. football team. So I had to yep. mention that. As soon as yeah, I saw right. your tweet, I was like, oh, I got to ask him about this. Volunteers, I know how to get that baby. on the show. Would you say, Dennis? The volunteers, baby. Yes, 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 yes. And I've always been a, you know, I'm a Pat Summit fan. So I always follow the balls, Lady Balls. Yeah. 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 I still say rest in peace, Pat. She was an amazing, amazing coach, an amazing person. Mm -hmm. But um, any, another question. Um, I believe last time, we talked a little bit about John Morant and his impact on the game of basketball last season. Has Memphis now embraced him or are you still seeing nothing but Elvis billboards all over the city? Because people have been talking about that. You know, you got John Morant and why am I seeing all, Stephen A. Smith was talking about why am I seeing all these Elvis post billboards? Where's the John Morant billboard? Yeah. So billboards finally getting up. Somebody in the comments asked that question too. Yeah. Yeah. People love John Moran in Memphis. That when when yeah. Stephen A says that about Memphis, quite frankly, it, it makes people here mad. Like, because it's it's kind of that, it's almost like it's an un, unrealistic viewpoint of Memphis. You know, there's a lot of love for Elvis here. And you have the Elvis Presley Boulevard, a lot of people, you know, tourists come to the city and, and they go visit it. Uh, but that John Moran is the main attraction in Memphis right now. There's just no doubt about that. Like uh, he's who people come to see. I mean, we saw Jalen Ramsey, you know, he's from Nashville on his right. bye week and NFL come to a game last week. I've seen Cat Williams. I've seen rappers like Lil Boosie, um, the whole CMG camp with Yo Gotti and the paper route people with Key Glock, Young Dolph, et cetera, all come into these games. Jerry the King Lawler, uh, anyone you can think of. I mean, it's the Memphis games are a true spectacle now. And, and John Morant 
this is a big reason why. Like I've had people on the business side and, and uh, other Grizzlies tell me ticket sales in Memphis are at an all time high right now. Yeah. The parking garage uh, next to the FedEx Forum, usually you can, you know, get some, you can get to find some parking there. Well, guess what? It's sold out for the season before the season Whoa. even started. Wow. So, I mean, all of that is John Morant. I mean, uh, they they fully embraced John Morant a long time ago, and now it's to the point where you know people are are putting him in that conversation where he's one of arguably one of the top athletes, you know, being embraced in Memphis at all time. You know, Penny Penny Hardaway is of course the standard here. Penny Hardaway mm-hmm. is the Michael Jordan of Memphis, but uh, John Morant, what he's doing is, I mean, it's 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 special to watch. And the, the city loves him. The city loves him. He loves the city. He's a very loyal guy to the city. He always talks about it. And I think the biggest proof of that is when he signed his five-year contract extension. A lot of players have the option of getting an option in that contract after the fourth year, basically saying, oh, if the fourth year doesn't go, or if I want to, you know, get out of the contract, I can after four years. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Luka Doncic in his five-year contract, he put a fifth-year option on there, and there are a couple other superstars who signed it, put a fifth-year option. John Morant, no fifth-year option. Mm-hmm. Basically saying, I'm fully committed to fully committed to Memphis for the next five years. That's dope. That's that really dope. dope. That, that is, is really dope. dope. Yeah, and I, I've heard, I heard that, uh, oh, you know, of course, Memphis TV schedule, they have the most games on TV now, NBA games on TV now, than they ever had before, ever, since since the uh, creation of the franchise. Never been on TV this much. Mm -hmm. I do believe that's due to John Morant, too. Definitely. And his jersey sales are up. Mm -hmm. But what I'm hearing. I think he's top, I think it's top five already. He he, he was top 10 last season in the entire league in jersey sales. Mm -hmm. uh, But in terms of like all the other like social media engagement. So ESPN put out this thing where uh, the interactions from the players that they tweet about the most and things like that, Steph Curry, LeBron James, and John Morant were the top right. three. John Morant had the most viewed video on, on uh, Instagram, ESPN's Instagram socials, and basically what you said about uh, ESPN and John Morant. So I, I wrote the story last season when ESPN decided to come all access to Memphis, and mm-hmm. it was like a special thing. First time they did that for a team in like three seasons. And they told me at the time, they said, oh, we'll, we'll be in Memphis a lot more. And, of course, John Morant is the big draw. He is a big reason why. And now the Grizzlies have 19 nationally televised games. And they have, in addition, they have another 10 or so games on NBA TV. So you're talking about 29 plus 29 to 30 games where people who aren't from Memphis or who aren't in the local market get access to the Grizzlies. And uh, that's, that's just going to help the appeal of John Morant, Desmond Bain, and just this team even more. Yeah, I picked Desmond Bain to be most improved player this year. Okay. I, didn't pick, I didn't pick John Morant to be MVP because I wanted him to stay healthy. I didn't think he was going to be healthy enough to be MVP. You 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 probably love when uh, Desmond Bain dropped 38 and 31 in back-to-back games. So you he making you look like a smart man right now. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> Bat, I'm, trying, I'm, I'm just messing you, uh, with this. <laughs> I call him Batman's arch nemesis. That's what I always say. Lord and Percy. So, so with all that information on Ja, you know, Ja, Ja was my favorite, one of my favorite players in that draft that came out. You know, I love Ja Morant. Still do. 
Um, mm-hmm. Do you believe that he is the future face of the NBA? Why or why not? Yeah, so actually, Kevin Durant said this the other day. Kevin Durant, mm-hmm. I think. I, I heard mean, it. That's where the question came from. <laughs> Kevin Durant said it. Kevin Durant said, look, he, he's one of the future faces of the NBA. And I think Kevin Durant put it perfectly. Uh, the way the league is set up right now, it's it's so much talent. There isn't one face of the league. There's like going to be a group. It's almost like a a Mount Rushmore, you know, type thing where it's going to be like four guys who are like, man, Luka Doncic, John Morant. Uh, I still think LaMelo Ball, you know, it's, it's, I think he could be one of those guys, you know, as, as, the, as his career takes course. And then if maybe the fourth guy will be someone who's not even in the league right now. Maybe Victor Wimbanyana or, or someone like that. Maybe Zion Williamson, you know, uh, with the way his career started and all the buzz that he had. But but Ja, I think Ja, Luca are definitely like above the pack right now. You know, Luca and Ja have just a, I mean, they have crazy, crazy amount of fans when they play. It's it's funny to me, you know, because you talk about face of the league, and I think of Kobe Bryant, I think of LeBron James and and Kevin Durant, and when those guys came to Memphis, fans are there two three hours before the games, big posters. Uh, waiting on them to come out for warm up shoot to get them signs up. It's like, is this a Grizzly home game? Is this a Kobe Bryant? <laughs> this a- right. And you know what I noticed when I went on the road towards the end of last season? When John Morant came to warm out in Atlanta, you got fans, cha, cha, cha. When we went to New York, Madison Square Garden, they're calling all the players. John goes last in, in player introductions. They call Jaron Jackson Jr.'s name. It's, uh, introducing Desmond Bain. Uh, Introducing, you know, Zaire Williams. Uh, introducing John Moran. <sighs> it's like, are we in New York? Or are we in Memphis? <laughs> and you know, it's just it goes to show. You know, when you talk about that marketability, he's one of those guys where, with those players, you have fans of Kevin Durant who basically say, "I don't like the Nets. I like Kevin Durant." Kevin Durant leaves the Nets and goes to the Sacramento Kings tomorrow. Guess what? I like the Kings now. You have that with right. LeBron James fans. Yeah, uh, I don't like the Lakers, but if he goes to the Lakers, he goes to the Heat, he goes to the Cavs. That's where I'm going. That's what it's about to be like with John Morant. Not saying he's going to go anywhere. I don't think he's going anywhere. But you have John Morant fans who are basically saying, "I'm watching the Grizzlies because they have John Morant." So yeah, he's one of those guys. He's one of the faces of the league. He has the relatability. He's fun. Uh, he has fun on the court. He has fun off the court. He has the swagger. A lot of people compare, you know, just. His, his swagger to Allen Iverson. You know, you hear yes, that a sir. lot. Yes. You hear that a lot mm-hmm. around here. And Allen Iverson is one of his idols, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, Allen Iverson is, is someone he looked up to. Dwayne Wade, Allen Iverson are two players he always talk about. It's like yep. two of his biggest idols in the game. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he he does he does remind me of AI a lot in the way he carries himself. And even mm-hmm. in the way he plays the game sometimes. It, it reminds me of AI. But... So, okay, I'm going to ask you about something that's not related to Memphis, but um, I just felt like I really had to ask you this question, okay? Mm-hmm. So, of course, you recently know about the Draymond Green incident where he punched Jordan Poole. Right, right. Um, what impact do you think this may have on that team and its success, if any at all? And have you ever seen anything like this amongst the Grizzlies teammates? in these practices where nobody else is but (laughs) y'all. 
nothing, nothing close, mm-hmm. nothing even close to that. The most you get, you know, I mean, that that situation in particular. So let's talk about that. The Draymond Green punch to Jordan Poole. On the court, you see right now they're, they're high-fiving. They're, they're making it work. But no one knows what's going on behind doors right now. And I think that's where, that's where you know, the relationship is probably going to be a little fractured. And we'll see how that impacts things when times get tough. Right now, they're having fun. It's the beginning of the season. You lose a game. Ah, nobody cares. It's too early to be worried. But when you get in the playoff point and you need that win real bad and Jordan Poole's wide open in the corner and Draymond misses him, and they don't have that good relationship. So you already have that angst towards him that, that makes you want to go off on him and you go off on him a little bit extra. That's where it could come out. Perfect example is actually Golden State. Uh, it was about three, four years ago when Kevin Durant and Draymond Green had the spiel on the sideline. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Draymond Green said some things to KD that KD felt like there was no coming back from. And if you watched the Warriors throughout that season, you would have had no clue. I mean, they were balling. Uh, they end up, you know, going to the playoffs, dominating. Kevin Durant gets hurt, and, and you know, they lose in the NBA Finals, mm-hmm. and Kevin Durant leaves. But leading up to that, you wouldn't have noticed it. But inside the locker room, they knew. They all take Steph Curry says it. Draymond says it. They knew Kevin Durant was leaving. Why? Because he was distant. Even Kevin Durant himself, he said, he got, after that, he's kind of distant from him. They weren't his guys, you know. They had their own chemistry thing of, going on but they weren't his guys he kind of became a little more isolated and I don't think Jordan Poole is doing that but I think you know there is some there is a notice with him and Draymond Green possibly uh and this is just me you know using that past situation and just saying I think it could be something similar to that then again you know Jordan Privilege I mean Jordan Poole isn't like a is an older guy like KD you know KD basically has his own rank in the NBA and basically uh I don't need you you know, uh, to and basically, and that's basically what Draymond told him. We don't need you. So um, it's different in those situations because Jordan Poole basically was raised in the NBA by Golden State. But I think, you know, on the court, we're, we're not going to see, you know, much of it until times get tough and then we might see something. And even then, we probably won't. Uh, Golden State is a good, high, high class organization. So you won't see uh, too much pull down from that. But now we have the Grizzlies actually, I think. Uh, my time just being around NBA teams, they're one of the closer teams uh, I've got to experience uh, seeing them be around each other. All right. That's good. That's good to know. Um, so it's time now for some way too early NBA predictions. Uh-oh. Way too early, but we're going to do it anyway. I want to know your opinion on this, or we want to know your opinion on this. Who's going to, who's going to the Eastern Conference final? Let's start with the Eastern. Eastern Conference finals. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got I got the books as one. I think the books books will definitely be in the Eastern Conference Finals. And for the second team, I say the Celtics. I say the Celtics. I think books. I think books and Celtics are uh, the Eastern Conference Finals uh, matchup. All right. What about the Western Conference Finals? That's the tough one. Uh, you can make an argument. You can make an argument for six, seven teams in the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. Make an argument for the Grizzlies. Make an argument for the Pelicans. You can make an argument for the Suns. You can make an argument for the Warriors. You can make an argument for the Clippers. You can make an argument for the Mavs. I mean, you that's six. The, the Pelicans. You can yeah. make an argument. The Pelicans literally a couple GMs had them as the number one team in the West 
uh, before this season started. So uh, you're the Pelicans, by the way, they they were three, they're three and one when they were healthy. Zion, Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, Jonas Valanciunas, um, Herb Jones. They got a nice crew over there. But getting back to the point, uh, to answer the question, uh, I man, it's it's so tough. You got to put Golden State in there. Uh, and I, and and I'll say it's between the Clippers and the Grizzlies uh, for that other spot. What you didn't I, say? You didn't say your purple team? No, 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 no. I mean, I think that's they, they don't have any depth. They don't have the depth. I'm, I'm when when I make those predictions, those long term predictions, you have to the factor in that injuries will play the course over the course of the season, and which teams are able to kind of you know handle those things. Uh, the Grizzlies are. Uh, the Clippers are, and I think I think right now I'll say I'll say Clippers Warriors, uh, in in the Western Conference Finals. Wow. Okay. So who's going to be in the finals then? Who's going to end up there? Go. I'll go Bucks Clippers. And who would win in that matchup, Bucks Clippers? <laughs> Woo, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Uh, Bucks, <laughs> Bucks Clippers, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Kawhi gets his his third ring. Really? Kawhi Kawhi gets his third ring, and uh, the Clippers the, the Clippers uh rise up and, and they get there, get that championship. But you, I mean, it's, it's way too early. It's way too early. But that's what I said. Way, way too early. <laughs> way too early. This is based on literally just I me mean, the Clippers being one of the deepest teams. The Bucks still being one of the best teams in the NBA right now, and they don't even have Chris Middleton back yet. Uh, factoring in both of those things, I think those teams uh, we've seen the Glipper, I mean, we've seen the Grizzlies play without John Morant in last season. Tyus Jones went 19 and four as a starter, so mm-hmm. we've seen they've been equipped to handle this thing. We've seen them now without Jaron Jackson Jr. They're playing at a high level, so I think uh, at the end of the day, those are the type of teams where you do the way too early. You got to project. The teams that are best equipped to handle injuries. I mean, you mentioned the Suns earlier, uh, but if Devin Booker gets hurt, uh, the Suns are in a tough spot. I don't think Chris Paul can carry that team, you know, at this stage of his career. And 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 then you know there are a couple other teams who are in that conversation. You know, uh, that one injury kind of dramatically shifts things for them. So that's why uh, I'm going with the Bucks. And yeah. I'm going uh, I agree with you on that. Dallas, Dallas, if Luka yeah. gets injured. Yeah, yeah there are a lottery team without Luka, so it's a, it's a big difference. Man. Okay, last question. I'm going to turn this back over to Dennis. Outside of Memphis, because I know you love that team since you cover them. I know you love them pretty, pretty much. Outside of Memphis, who is your favorite NBA player right now? Outside of Memphis, my favorite NBA player right now Man, it's got to be Giannis. Oh, cool. Uh, uh, Devin Devin Booker too. Devin wow. Booker too. I, I think, I think, I think you those are my. You changed that since last year. I told you leave that dude alone. I told you he was gonna that's, let you down. I told name. you last year. <laughs> those, those those are my those are my favorite too. Uh, Giannis, I just love his mentality. You know, he he doesn't carry himself like a superstar. He, and he, he still has that, like, I only got $2 in my pocket and my family got to eat mindset. And I, I love that, you know, because you, you see him hustling up the court on every single play, offense, defense on both ends. Right now he's carrying that team and he's unstoppable. 
like he's like Shaq reincarnated, but you know, a modern day version of Shaq. Like he doesn't play the same way because basketball is different. But he's the modern version of Shaq in a way of there isn't one guy who you can throw on him to check him. Teams guard him with bigger guys. They guard him with two or three guys. And when you guard him with a bigger guy, he just runs past him. You guard him with a smaller guy, he just powers through him. Like there's no way to win with guarding Giannis. And then Devin Booker, I mean, he's, he's just so smooth. You know, I, I just love the smoothness of his game. Uh, you know, you look at these guys who are dominating in the mid-range these days, DeMar DeRozan, Devin Booker, uh, mm -hmm. Kevin Durant. And I think Booker is, is the guy you at least expected you know, to be that type of guy. When he came out of college, he was this three-point shooter. Everyone was comparing to Clay Thompson. And now, you know, he's just risen to a whole nother level. So uh, he's carrying that Suns team. Giannis is, you know, the face of the books and arguably the face of the NBA. I like Giannis a lot. I respect yeah. him too, just for the same reason you do. I really do. All right, Dennis. Yeah. I was excited to watch this game the other day, and, and I got this question. And I, and I just want you to tell me your perspective on what, what, what really happened. Um, the Memphis Grizzlies were playing against the Dallas Mavericks, and it seemed like the game was over in the second quarter. Mm -hmm. I, now, what do you feel as though happened in that game? So, you know, in the NBA – you have what some people call schedule losses. Schedule losses are game where over the course of an 82-game season, there are going to be teams put in difficult situations where before the tip, they're already put in a tough position. And I think that was the case with the Grizzlies because for the Grizzlies, they were playing their third game in four nights, and they were playing the second night of a back-to-back. -back. So they played that game on Saturday against the Mavs. They played Friday in Houston. And this is how their schedule set up. They played the Knicks on Wednesday at home. They traveled to Houston on Thursday. They played Houston on Friday. They traveled to Dallas for that game and played on Saturday. So uh, it's what you call a schedule loss. Meanwhile, Dallas, and a lot of people weren't happy about this, they played on Wednesday just like the Grizzlies, but they had Friday off. I mean, they had Thursday off. They had Friday off. And, and they played Saturday. So it was Dallas's second game of the season. It was the Grizzlies' third game, and they played on the second night of a back-to-back. -back. So you can see from the jump, one team was fresher than the other. Overall, the Grizzlies didn't have an answer for Luka, and you can contribute that to a different factors. You can say, oh, they didn't get the rest. You also can say Dylan Brooks, who, you know, he gets a lot of flack, but he's the Grizzlies' best wing defender. Yeah. So uh, he, he would have been the guy guarding Luka, and he's the best chance they have at containing Luka. So uh, – Without him, Luka kind of had his way. And, you know, the Grizzlies, I, I think that's one of those games you look at the schedule and you say, oh, they did us no favors here. It's your third game in four nights, whereas Dallas got two days of rest and they got to, you know, they look like a fresher team. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Dylan Brooks, he's back now, but that's the guy I call Prince. I nicknamed him Prince and uh, OG nicknamed, uh, nicknamed um, John Morant. Jesse Jesse Johnson from the town. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like the press one. I got to tell Dylan Brooks that. I got to tell him that. Yeah, because he had to remember he used to have a curl coming down his face. Curls now. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nicknamed him Prince. He was, that's when he was playing against Utah two years ago in the playoffs, and he was unstoppable in the third quarter. Like nobody could do nothing with him. He was unstoppable. Yep. I ain't seen that guy since. That guy kind of disappeared. 
<laughs> now, what happened to them re-signing Kyle Anderson? Was it a, a re-sign? Was it a trade? Yeah, Kyle, Kyle, Kyle Anderson is the is the one player they let go uh, through free agency. So, I mean, very impactful dude off the bench. He was one of the bigger voices in the locker room. But at the end of the day, the Grizzlies have this big emphasis on shooting now, you know, because you got a superstar in John Morant. Now it's all about putting a team around him that best complements his style of play. Actually, I just wrote a story on that this morning. It's going to come out tomorrow night uh, on Sunday night about how the Grizzlies have kind of revamped their roster to, to be better suited to the skill set of John Morant. You think about when, when LeBron James won championship in Cleveland, when he was winning with the Heat, uh, they basically went and got all these shooters throughout free agency because you had a guy in John, I mean, a guy in LeBron who puts a lot of pressure on the paint. You think about the team in, in Milwaukee with the Bucks When they went to the NBA Finals, you got a lot of these stretch big men like Brooke Lopez is going to shoot some threes. Bobby Portis is going to shoot some threes because you want Giannis attacking the basket and you want the floor to be as spaced out as possible. You want him to have shooters to kick it to. And at the end of the day, Kyle Anderson just wasn't giving them much in that area. Great defender. Uh, and he's capable of making some three points. It's not like he couldn't make them, but uh, Jake LaRavia, who I talked about earlier, is basically one of your Kyle Anderson replacements. And Santi Aldama, eventually, you know, Kyle Anderson played that backup four role. Right. Santi Aldama right now has been one of the bigger surprises on the Grizzlies team. He's going to be coming off the bench when Jaron Jackson Jr. starts. So that's going to make that team even deeper. And, and quite frankly, uh, as, as good as Santi Aldama's playing, they, they probably didn't need Kyle Anderson. And the other thing is they just ran out of roster spots. Like I told you, this, this team is so deep. Uh, they don't have like the 14th and 15th men who are guys that usually just eat their popcorn. The Grizzlies' 14th and 15th men is, is, is like guys like Kennedy Chandler, who you expect to be you know impactful in a couple seasons, or Xavier Tillman who actually started a playoff, started two, no, I think maybe even three, started three playoff games for the Grizzlies last season, and he's not even in a rotation right now. So that's how deep this team is as, as they're currently constructed. Wow. That is that is good to know. Definitely good to know. I just wanted to know what was going on. I just felt as though he gave a different attitude to the team. Like, mm-hmm. like we don't care who it is. We're going to beat them, and that's just – that's how I felt. I felt that was his impact. And when he got on the floor, he played like that. But I, yeah, I, I wanted to, I just wanted to see more of him on the team. But you know, things happen. Like you said, Santiago Dama is playing pretty good right now. So we'll see how things go. We'll definitely see how things go. With you traveling as much as you are, back and forth with the team, man. With throughout this basketball season. I, I know it gets tiring and Things go on. What are, what are some of the ups and downs of that traveling back and forth and everything? It's a lot because first of all, everybody just see, oh, look at him. He at this stadium, that stadium. Just they don't see those uh, when 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 the Grizzlies are playing the Golden State Warriors and it's a seven o'clock game local time, you know, in, in Golden State, and the game ends around ten. You write the story, get done with the story around twelve, then I have to write my follow up. And I'm leaving the arena probably around 12, 1230, then go back to my hotel uh, at about 1 a.m. Then I record Locked On Grizzlies. So get done with that. Finally go to sleep at about 2 a.m. Get up for about a 6 a.m. flight because you got to get back to Memphis 
uh, for one, in case the Grizzlies practice in Memphis the next day, you know, which they will do around two o'clock because the Grizzlies usually fly back after after games. Um, unless sometimes on the West Coast, they'll stay in the morning. And but but yeah, those those are some of the things that you go through. So the ups, I'll say is I get to experience all these new arenas, you know, places I've never been to California before until, you know, I, I got to go to the Bay Area uh, last season for, yeah. for, for the playoffs. Never been to Minnesota, you know, before I went to Minnesota for that series. Got to go to Houston. That was my first time going to Houston, you know, when they played in Houston, uh, Utah, uh, Denver, like all these places I've never been. You know, I got to experience and, and experience these different cities. And, and look at these different arenas and, and these different airports. I mean, it's, it's all of it is brand new to me. So it's more just the experience of newness. Like, and, and you know, being in sports journalism, uh, you have people that you know in all these cities. So it's kind of cool. Like, oh, I'm coming to Houston this week. And, you know, people host you over and, and take care of you and stuff like that. So it's, that's, that's the fun part of it. Uh, the down... I mean, the only down is it's, it's, it's tiring. You know, um, one thing when I first became a beat writer that I didn't think of, and a beat writer in the NBA gave me some real good advice. He said, he told me, he said, make sure you take care of your body. So mm -hmm. me being just young and and I'm like, I'm not playing in the NBA games. What you mean, take care of my body? Like I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to the games. You know, I'm sit down, watch the game, and I write my story. What, what you mean, take care of my body? Like I'll be good. And then I started seeing it. I saw when the Grizzlies had to go to Minnesota for game six. Then I flew back to Memphis the next day. Then the next day I had to fly out to Golden State. And then I stayed in Golden State for about three days. Then I had to fly back to Memphis for two games. Then I had to fly back to Golden State. Then I had to fly back to Memphis. Then I had to fly back to Golden State. So wow. once, I, once I experienced that, it was like, oh my God, because these are early morning flights most of the time, 6, 7, 8 a.m. You're doing a lot of late nights because games are ending pretty late. You got you to gotta do the morning flights because, I mean, flying to – there's no straight flights uh, from Memphis to San Francisco and Oakland and stuff like that. So you're getting usually a, a layover in Utah, a layover in Denver. So you're talking about an eight-hour flight, uh, you know, from, from Memphis to, to Cali was taking up pretty much your whole day. You, you got to write or something while you're on the flight, you're working. So um, that's the down of it. You got to find your rest in between time. You know, uh, it's not a lot of, lot of time. There's not too many eight hour sleep days and things like that. But I've, I've learned to balance it out better. Just take better advantage of my time, you know, be more efficient with my time uh, instead of you know, doing, you know, certain things. I, I do two things at one time so I can get finished with things now. Um, or instead of saying, hey, I'm going to do this one thing, then I'm going to take a break, then I'm going to come back and do this later. And in that break, just sitting sitting back and, and chilling. I go knock both things out at once, and then I'll have a little time to myself. So uh, the downside probably, that is the downside. Just, you know, once you're, once you're traveling on the road, and, you know, the Grizzlies pretty much play every other day. So usually it's like game, flight. Game, flight, game, flight. And, 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 you know, that's usually how it works. And then when you're flying into those cities, usually you get you have to hurry up and go to the practice because, again, practices are usually 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. So you're doing morning flights so you can get so you can get a beat on time for those practices and whatnot. But, yeah, it's 
it's a tough schedule, but uh, I mean, it's it's a lot of fun that comes with it. Okay, all right, that's good to know. I, I thought you would have like some other problems, like you know, you leaving stuff in hotels. Like it was a couple of girls told me they was like, "Why you don't put stuff in the hotel drawers?" I said, "Then I'm a leadership. I leave everything." I said, "I just put my suitcase on top of the dresser." That's it. Yeah, I, I had a couple. <laughs> like when I went to Vegas, uh, when I went to Vegas, I got to Vegas, uh, and the Grizzlies were having a press conference with John Morant on signing his contract extension, and you know I had a delayed flight. My flight got delayed. I, I, this is my first time again. So many new experiences. I have so many flight stories. I mean, I could talk hours about my flight stories. But, uh, <laughs> so, so this one, basically, I was, I forgot where I was uh, during my layover to Vegas, but basically we couldn't fly into Vegas because it was too hot. I have never heard of such a thing, but <laughs> yeah, it was too, it was too hot and it was considered a flight risk. You know, it was, oh. it was dangerous. Uh, so we couldn't fly into Vegas at that time. So, it was like a two hour gap. And basically I had no time to go check into my hotel and everything. So I had to go straight to John Moran's press conference, you know, with my, with my suitcase and all my bags and, and then stuff like that. And then um, I had to go check into my hotel real quick and I barely made it in time for like the summer league game check-ins and stuff like that. So I have a lot of that. Like, it's just a, a lot of nonstop, like you gotta be super organized. If, if you don't have in your mind, I'm doing this at two o'clock, doing this at four, and I'm doing this at six o'clock on the dot. Literally, if you delay it to six oh two, that could throw your whole day off. And and that's 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 the down. You gotta be very meticulous with your time. You gotta be disciplined, and you gotta get stuff done because that little extra two minutes that you spend on the phone talking to someone, catching up with your day, uh, could throw you off, <laughs> and you'd be late to one thing, and you have to you know, just overcompensate in other areas and, you know, it can throw your whole day off. So it's, it's just, it's very time consuming and you got to be very particular about that time. Okay. Now you, you don't book your own flights, do you? Um, I, I, you know, I put in the times, but you know, the job covers, you know, all of that. But, uh, I, I do the times myself because I have to find the time that best fits you know, my schedule. Oh, so you do book your own. Okay, so you do book yeah. your own. I ain't saying you pay for them. I mean, but you yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I booked them myself because, you know, it has to fit my schedule. It has to fit, in, you know, when I'm doing Locked on Grizzlies, uh, when when I need to write this story, when I want to have this story done, when I have this interview with this coach, this interview with this player. It's like, okay, six to nine is the window I can fly in, and I'll book it. Okay, all right. Now, uh, OG kept asking. I forgot to ask you this. He went on the best barbecue spot. In, in Memphis, the best barbecue spot in Memphis. Okay, so it's got three or four options. First, if you like, you got your dry rub options. Then you got your, you know, your your, your sauce spots. You like you like a little sauce on your ribs. Uh, or you like a sauce on whatever you like to eat. Uh, barbecue wise, my favorite personal place is Central's Barbecue. Central's Barbecue is my personal favorite, just because I like variety. I, that's that's the place I feel like you can go four times a week, get four different things, and and they all be real good. You you like pulled pork sandwich, uh, real good. Um, of course the ribs. I mean, you don't gotta speak Memphis, Memphis styles ribs. Uh, they're really good. But I'll say this: uh, Central's Barbecue has these smoked wings. They do smoked wings. The smoked wings are are some of the best wings in Memphis. And one thing about Memphis: Memphis has great wings, just like Memphis has great barbecue. 
But the smoked wings at Central Barbecue is top tier. Uh, a couple other places, uh, I like Tops Barbecue, T-O-P-S, Tops Barbecue is like one of the underrated ones. Yeah. Rendezvous, Rendezvous is arguably the biggest barbecue spot in Memphis. That's the place usually when, when five-star recruits come on visits uh, with the Memphis Tigers and stuff like that, they go to Rendezvous to, get, to get a meal. Or uh, I've seen, you know, people like Steven Jackson and Al Harrington and NBA players sometimes when they come visit, uh, they go to Rendezvous because it's downtown and you go get you a good meal from there. So Rendezvous, they got some real good dry rub ribs with their own special, you know, Memphis style spice to it. Uh, Rendezvous is a top tier spot. And I say Central's Barbecue is my personal favorite. And if you're one of those people, you like, I just want a Memphis under the, ra- under the radar spot. Top's Barbecue is one I like. So that's three. That's three I can give you right there. I think that's the one the police told me about, Top's Barbecue. Yeah, because, yeah, top, top, Top's tops is one of those spots, man. It's like you, you Google top barbecue spots in Memphis, it'll be a little bit down the list. But if you're from Memphis, you, 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 you've eaten that Top's for sure. That's that's what's up. That's definitely what's up. All right, Shane, you ready for this five star shout out? I'm always ready. Always ready. If you remember, mm-hmm. I always I closed out our last show with the five star shout out. So you remember the rules. I must I must ask you first thing come to mind to spit it out. No commentary. We're gonna keep it moving. You ready? Let's do it. I'm ready. All right. Mike Tyson or Floyd May- Mayweather? Floyd Mayweather. Who's the greatest rapper alive? Lil Wayne. For chicken, you like white meat or dark meat? Dark meat. Who is a better player, Magic Johnson or Larry Bird? Magic Johnson. And now, since we are in the World Series time, Phillies or Astros? (laughs) Oh, it's killing me to say it, Phillies. (laughs) All right. All right. Thanks well, for playing. Five star shout out. If y'all if y'all don't know, he's an Atlanta Braves fan, and a Phoenix and a Phoenix Suns fan, <sighs> and a Green Bay Packers fan. Let me get that all out the way. Well, look, everybody didn't grow up in Philly, where you got four teams and, and <laughs> all the major pro. In Memphis, all we first of all, we didn't always have the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies, no, Grizzlies. the Grizzlies have been here, I think, twenty two years now. Mm-hmm. In Memphis, so that ain't my whole lifetime that the Grizzlies have been here. Uh, but uh, that's all that's all we've had. We have a triple A baseball team, and now they have 901 FC uh soccer team. And, and, and like, but we 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 don't have an NHL team or NFL team and an MLB team, you know, like Philly. So I couldn't I couldn't just say, hey, uh, I like all my Memphis teams, you know, like everybody in Philly says, oh, I'm a Flyers. I'm a I'm a Sixers Eagles and, and it'd be that easy. I had to I had to watch sports and figure out which which teams best fit what what I like the most. So uh, that's how I came up with all those teams. But uh, yeah. Okay. I I ain't that I ain't that mad at you. It is what it is. No brain. I'm uh, I'm gonna ask you this last one. I'm gonna leave it alone. Then. Um, how do you feel about your Green Bay Packers? You you want my honest assessment? Yeah, well, I mean, this is you. Give it to Minus. Because it's, it's not going to be what you expect. I, I feel good about them. Uh, <laughs> and, and look, at the end of the day, the Packers are, I mean, they, they, they're not good right now. They're not good right now. But you look at their record. You know, 
the last time the Packers had this record, won the Super Bowl. Yes. Uh, you look at the the 2010, 2011, uh, the 2011 Packers, when they went on that Super Bowl run, um, they got hot at the end of the season. We've seen over the course of the past few seasons, uh, a lot of times it's not who's playing the best right now. It's who's playing the best at the end of the season. And what the Packers have are a lot of young players, particularly at wide receiver, right? That's the position that everybody likes to talk about when it comes to Green Bay. Who's replacing Devontae Adams? They got these rookies, quite frankly, I think are immensely talented. Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson are, I think, future 1,000-yard type receivers. But they are rookies. And, and Aaron Rodgers demands a lot out of players. So what you're seeing right now is the learning curve. And what you're going to see when November and December hit is things are going to start to click more. They're going to make the playoffs. They're going to get in. And then people are going to say, man, Green Bay is the team that you, you don't want to play because the talent is there um, at every level. Offense, defense, uh, and the special teams is improved. And, and, I mean, it's the same roster that went to the – to went to the postseason last year, minus, you know, Devontae Adams. So uh, it's pretty much, it's a very similar roster. And I mean, they'll be fine. Okay. All right. Some positivity coming out of Green Bay. Well, B said that you on fentanyl. <laughs> <laughs> B the analyst said that you on fentanyl. Um, I mean, I, yeah, because it's, it's, I mean, look, at the end of the day, when Green Bay won the Super Bowl that season and, and all these players, important players went on IR there were people saying oh you know they're done but this I mean it's NFL you 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 don't have to be hot and that's a lot that's the thing I think a lot of people do they overreact to the starts of the season you know the Titans started the season 0-2 and everyone's like they suck now the Titans are 4-2 you know and it's certain teams will get hot last season the Arizona Cardinals started the season what 7-0 and uh and ended up you know, just not being as good as a lot of people thought they were. And now the Arizona Cardinals are, are, are not in fact, it, it doesn't really matter how you're playing right now. At the end of the day, you got to be playing your best football uh, in December and January, and you have to be healthy. That's another thing. Uh, so right now, the Packers, if you look at their young receivers, you don't believe me, go look it up. Rome, Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, two real talented guys. They're going to be playing better as the season goes on. The defense will be fine. Packers have pro bowlers at every level of their defense. Defense will be fine. Aaron Rodgers will start to click with those young receivers, and they'll win more games. I mean, it's not a talent problem. It's the same players last season minus a couple guys, and and they'll be fine. Yeah, be the analyst said that uh, they had way more talent back then, and he said that uh, some serious adjustments have to be made. Yeah, I, I, I got I got a I got a real. I got a real gutsy feeling y'all gonna be Buffalo tomorrow. I don't know what it is. I guess it's just the, the gambler in me that want to just take that, take those odds. Good, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> good luck to anybody that bet against Buffalo. You, you got to be, you, uh, you bet against Buffalo. You, you, you playing with house money, man, because uh, that's that's risky. But I mean, that that team will be that team. Just like you know, I think the same with the Bucks. Man, they'll both they'll both be fine. Bucks and Packers, everyone's talking about them, and it's like it's no big deal. Talk talk to me, you know, in the first week of December, and, and let me know, you know, how, how you feeling then, and then we can we can reconvene for sure. I just I just got a gutsy feeling about that. Uh, Carlson said the Jets are going to the Super Bowl. Jets are only getting better week to week. 
So they are going to the Super Bowl. All right. Well, we gotta we gotta end this show. Michael Cole, I want to thank you for coming out, man, giving us your time, man, because your time is limited, especially around this time. We're gonna have to start getting you around like August, you know what I mean? Like right after the summer league is over. That way we can get like more time with you. You know what I mean? Because your your time is limited once the basketball season starts. But I'm thanking you for giving me your time. Um, Sharon, you got any last words? It's not how you start. It's how you finish. There you go. That's it. It's not how you start. And when you're trying to set out and do something that you want to do and achieve your goals, don't be discouraged by the setbacks. Just keep on fighting. Keep going. Yeah, that's one That's one thing I did learn today. He was going in there to try to be a TV host and they ain't give him a proper interview. So he said he going to school right. That's one thing I did learn today. You got any final words for us, though, Michael Cole? That just, whatever you want to do, that's that's your personal journey. Embrace that personal journey. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people in, in today's age, in the age of social media, in the age of a lot of comparisons and things like that, we like to look at what other people are doing around our age group or, or someone who started doing some, something with us at the same time. Or like, man, we were in the same freshman class doing the same thing or, or we both got this job at the same time and they got this promotion and I didn't get that promotion. Uh, embrace your personal journey. Every, everyone's paths is different. Uh, some people, you know, it, it, it takes a little longer. Some people are fast risers. You know, whatever the case may be, uh, just embrace your own journey because whenever you do reach whatever that goal is, uh, it's going to be the sweetest feeling. So just continue to just, to just you know, have that tunnel vision. Say, hey, don't compare yourself to what someone else is doing um, in, in your lane or what this person is doing or this person's making this much, I'm making that much. Uh, none of that really matters. It's all about you embracing your journey, embracing your, your path, the ups and downs of that and getting to the end goal. All right. With that being said, God bless, ladies and gentlemen, and great day.